There's an old hymn, actually uh, an old hymn, 150 years old, that sings, where people sing, Onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banner go. And like that, it just, just sort of captured my mind, Onward Christian soldier. We are, we are all in a spiritual battle. So I talked about last week. Last week was really foundational for this morning. So if you missed that, um, please go, please go back, and uh, you'll hear probably the funniest um, uh, misstep of a joke I've ever made. Anyway, um, if you were there, you're there. <laughs> I'm trying not to do that today. We're all in a spiritual battle, whether we like it or not. We're all we're born into this world that's raging in warfare, raging with warfare. A great battle between good and evil, truth and dis. Truth and deception, justice, injustice, light and darkness, order and chaos. It's funny that we sang those words this morning. You bring, you bring my chaos back into order, right? The good news, the good news for us, like, oh, I mean, that's a heavy thing, James. The good news is we, uh, we serve a king who's the, the victorious king. God is the victorious king. His kingdom is advancing and ain't nothing going to stop it. Ain't nothing going to stop it. This doesn't mean, though, that the Christian life is, is without hassle or without battle. In fact, when you come to faith in God, when you believe in your heart that he is the king of kings, then you are aligning yourself in the battle. And you, uh, you become a, a kingdom soldier or on the line of that, of that old hymn, a you know, Christian soldier marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. So today, in today's talk, I'm going to start off with, uh, with Moses and Aaron and the book of Exodus, and then I'm going to round back to the king, to our King Jesus and, and his mission. 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 Moses and Aaron in the story, they've been commissioned by God to go, to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the enemy, basically, and demand that he let the Israelites go to worship God in the wilderness. They had to go to him and say, uh, set, my people, you know, set these people free from slavery and oppression. So they uh, boldly go, um, Moses and his big brother Aaron, they boldly go and they do what Jesus said, what God said. <laughs> it was Jesus, right? They do what, what God said and Pharaoh said, no, I will not do that. I will not do that. And then, and then he, he oppresses the Israelites even more. So then God commands him to go again, and he says this time, this time he's going to reveal, and this time he's going to reveal his sovereignties, this time he's going to reveal his supremacy, this time he's going to reveal his absolute power over all things, including the puny gods of Egypt. And their, their first exchange with Pharaoh was, was like a warning, okay, they'll go to Pharaoh, okay, let, let our people go, it's kind of polite, isn't it? If you're going to declare war on somebody, then give them a bit of a warning, it's a nice thing to do. Uh, let my people go, or God's going to come on judgment upon you, all these bad things are going to happen, so why don't you just let my people go? And, um, and Pharaoh's like, yeah, nah, yeah, <laughs> nah. And so now, so you know, there's been the warning, so now it's like, okay, now, now it's time for the war. <laughs> Exodus 6, 1 to 8. You've got your Bibles. Let's turn to Exodus 6, 1 to 6. If you've got the Version app, uh, turn to Exodus 6. We're going to read Exodus 6, 1 to 8. Exodus 6, 1 to 8. So in this passage, um, 
One thing, one thing to look out for is how many times is, this, uh, is uh, the name of God, the Lord, is, is repeated. Remember, we spoke about the name of the Lord quite a few weeks ago. How if, all, if it's all in capitals, then it, then it's um, then it's Yahweh, you know, Y W H W, all the other yeah. Um, the the name of the name of God, the self-revealed name of God. I am who I am. Okay, so are you there? Moses six, Moses six, Exodus six. <laughs> but the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said, and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden, out of the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the who? Lord. Lord. Over and over, eh? Over and over, he says, I am the Lord. And this is, like, this is a message of, of great news. This is good news. This is the gospel message in, in Exodus. The Lord is, I mean, imagine the Israelites, they're, they're slaves and slave. What are their hopes and dreams? Um, to have food on the table, um, to acquire some possessions, maybe. I mean, this is like the ultimate good news. I'm going to liberate you from slavery. The Lord, is, the Lord Yahweh, is going to take them, from, uh, take them out from under their burdens, he says. The Lord is going to deliver them from slavery. The Lord is going to redeem them with great acts of judgment on Egypt and its gods, as we'll see. The Lord is going to bring them into the land promised to them, and they will possess it. The Lord, the Lord is going to do that. Exodus means way out. And the Lord is going to create the way out of slavery. The Lord is going to do, that, do this. And this is, this is good news for God's chosen people. Good news for God's chosen people means bad news for the Egyptians. This is bad news for Pharaoh, for the gods of Egypt, and ultimately for the, for the enemy of God. God's good news is the enemy's bad news. Okay? There is going to be a battle. And it's a battle that is fought single-handedly by, by God, by the Lord, by his strong and mighty hand. I love that phrase, and it, can, it pops up all through the scriptures, by a strong and mighty hand. I don't know why I'm putting out my skinny, puny hand. It's strong enough, though, you know, with those hard-to-open jars, my, my hand's strong enough to open those. But it's not a strong and mighty hand like the Lord. The Lord, by his strong and mighty hand, he's going to do this. It's a spiritual battle, uh, but, it, but it's manifested, which is a fancy word for being like sort of revealed in the, in the physical, like manifested, shown uh, in, in our physical world, in the physical space. The battle uh, is manifested, <laughs> is shown in, in the ten plagues. 
And, okay, so plague, plague is a funny word. Like um, sometimes when we think of plagues, we think of it's, it's a sickness, like COVID-19 is, is a bit like a, is a plague. Um, but these plagues are not just sicknesses. There are sicknesses there, but it's not just sickness. All kinds of things are going to happen. And each of these plagues is a, is a blow to the enemy, a defeat for the gods and the confidence of the rulers of Egypt. And each blow generally follows this pattern, a similar pattern. There's, there's the demand from Moses and Aaron, let my people go. There's the warning. And if you don't, then the Lord is going to judge you in this way. And then Pharaoh hardens his heart and, he, and they do. They kind of get hammered, don't they? Let my people go. And if you don't do, don't do this, this is what the Lord's going to do. And then the, the king of Egypt, as I said, he hardens his heart. The, hardens his heart. The blow falls upon Egypt, revealing that Yahweh is the all-powerful God and the supreme King of Kings. It's really revealing his his lordship, his supremacy. So let's look a few. Let's look at a few of them. There's ten of them. So I'm just going to, but I'm just going to pull out a few, so you can see you see for yourself. The first plague. Then the first plague is quite sort of quite funny if you imagine it. Pharaoh is out for his morning dip in the River Nile. Now rivers are uh, often like really significant places in cities and in countries. And the River Nile is hugely significant for the Egyptians, for the ancient Egyptians. And more than a river, the Nile represents a god of Egypt. The Nile River represents the, the god that's responsible. I don't want to name that god, actually. I'm just going to describe what they were about. The one that's responsible for the annual flooding of the river. That brought, they had to have this annual flooding because it would um, bring fertile soil, deposit fertile soil along the, blank, along the banks of the river. People would then plant their crops and they'd be able to get food, what they need. So the, so the annual flooding, the god of the annual flooding sort of rep, rep, uh, was represented by the, by the river itself. Is that making sense? Okay, good. I mean, quoting Wikipedia, you can look at this up on Wikipedia. The priests of this god were involved in rituals to ensure the steady the steady levels of flow required from the annual flood. So, a really significant river, right? Significant in the physical, significant uh, spiritually to the to the Egyptians. Pharaohs having his dip picture it. No, don't picture it too much. Pharaoh's having his dip in the River Nile, and then Moses and Aaron turn up, and they say, let my people go, or I'm going to strike this river with my staff, and it's going to be turned to blood. And this is what happens. Hopefully, Pharaoh got out of the river. This is what happens. The, the, The Nile turned to blood. Fish died. It says fish died, and people couldn't drink the water. And so if this is happening in the physical, what do you think it's showing in the spiritual? It shows that God is greater than, than the God of, of the Nile River. Okay, the second blow. There's a plague of frogs. Frogs everywhere, swarms of frogs covering the land. Now frogs represent a goddess of fertility. And then God, with his mighty hand, just overrides that. And, in, and instead of like these normal cycles of fertility, it's chaos. <laughs> Revealing that God is greater than, than the goddess of fertility. And this pattern happens through each of the plagues. Each of the plagues. So they're, not just, they're not just random things. They're not God going, okay, what's something I can do to break the resistance of the Egyptians? No. It's more than that. It's like, what, what am I going to do to reveal that 
that he is he is the supreme God of gods, you know. This pattern happens through each of the plagues, and in the in the uh, in the penultimate, I love that word penultimate, so I just use it second to last. So in the penultimate blow, the light of the sun was blotted out. It says there was such complete darkness that it could be felt. The darkness could be felt for three days. They couldn't see anything. They couldn't see the person in front of them for three days. The sun god of the Egyptians is probably the most well-known even today. You probably know his name. I'm not going to say it. The sun god is probably the most well-known. But his his power was rendered null and void by the mighty hand of God, single-handedly. Bam! Darkness. And the Egyptians are getting hammered, absolutely hammered. The gods and the power of the, of the priests, the gods and the power of the priests, these magicians, magicians is a, probably not a great word though, like these, you know, these religious um, um, priests that, anyway, they, they had power, but their power was no match for the Lord and they are suffering. <laughs> like there's a plague of boils, everyone getting hit by boils. Oh my goodness. They are suffering. And some of the Egyptians actually see uh, see what's going on, and they actually recognize that this is God. And it, and it says how some of the Egyptians actually fear the Lord, and they, and they listen to these warnings of Moses and Aaron, and, they, and they're obedient. So, yeah, interesting, eh? But, but not Pharaoh. He's a, oh, he just seems like an absolute sucker for punishment, doesn't he? And he still won't let the people of Israel go. He's so arrogant, and it, and it makes sense. He, he's been brought up to believe that he is divine, that he is God, a God. And that his son after him is a God. You know, his dad was a God. He's a God. He's, his son's going to be a God. His son is a God. So then we come to the penultimate. Oh, this actually the final, <laughs> the ultimate. So remember, remember at the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh, actually Pharaoh's old man, Pharaoh's dad, Old Pharaoh, Mr. Pharaoh, what do you call him? <laughs> Pharaoh Senior. Pharaoh Senior. Pharaoh Senior orders, orders. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Pharaoh Senior orders, um, orders all, all the uh, male uh, sons, all the sons of the, uh, yeah, okay, all the sons of the Israelites to be killed, right? Orders their murder. So then we get to the, to, to the final, uh, the final plague, and justice is about to be served. This is the perfect judgment of God. And the final plague, the Lord struck down all of all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock. Carnage. Car- absolute carnage. Yet the firstborn of the Israelites were protected by the blood of the sacrificed lamb, the blood of the lamb that they painted on their doorposts and the lintels, which is the bit on the top of their of their homes, and the Lord passed over their over their homes. Uh, Bill Jackson writes, Yahweh prepared to defeat the last of the Egyptian gods and to demonstrate that he was not only the creator but king. A few, cha- a few chapters after this, Pharaoh actually meets his demise uh, when they pass through the Red Sea and the, and the Red Sea floods over him. So God, God, off gods, right? Champion, our champion. It's a spiritual battle. God has the victory, and by his strong and mighty hand, the people are delivered from Egypt. 
And I, I love this scripture. So uh, if we turn forward a few chapters to chapter 12 in, in uh, Exodus. Because it's just a, such a dramatic contrast. Like I really encourage you to, to almost like go back and read, read through from the beginning of the beginning of the plagues to the end and just notice the contrast with Pharaoh at the start. It's like, no, forget about it. You're God. I don't even know you're God. You guys can't go anywhere. And you get to this chapter in chapter 12 and they're like, get out, <laughs> go now. So uh, if like you read, uh, we'll read from uh, chapter 12, verse Verse 31, so right, his, his son has just died. And so Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron by night, the middle of the night, says, Up, go, get out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go and serve your God as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And bless me too. <laughs> bless me too. It says, The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. And they probably would have. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading, kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So they, had, they won the battle, right? Or well, God won the battle and they reaped the reward. Massive contrast, like this, this incredible victory of God resulting in the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery and the judgment of God, uh, of God over Egypt. This is what God does. Right, I, I sense that God wants us to take hold of the, hold of the story and, and to see the connection with what he is doing today and, and what he's inviting us to be part of. Onward, Christian soldier, right? Onward, Christian soldier. Pharaoh was a bit, well, he, his heart, he had a hard heart. He was, I want to say he was thick. He was, what, he was arrogant. He was pride. He just didn't, couldn't see the truth. Pharaoh's magicians, though, they picked up on it much, much sooner than him. And they, they, they quickly realized that, that God, that the God of Moses and Aaron was actually far powerful than their gods. It actually happens in the plague of the gnats, which is plague number three. Gnats. Nets, uh, you can imagine they eh, like like I don't know loads of mosquitoes and uh, and sand flies and all kinds of flying small flying um, insects, causing a lot of problems. Uh, Mo- Moses stretched. I can't remember if he stretched out a staff in this one, but um, the dust of the desert became nets. And the magicians, when they tried to do it, I don't know why they tried to do it, but they, when they tried to do it, they they couldn't do it. And then they say they go to Pharaoh. This is the finger of God. I love it. I reckon it was the little finger of God because that's all he needs. This is, this is the finger of God, Pharaoh. And it's like, Pharaoh's not. No, you guys, are, you guys are wrong. He still wouldn't budge. The plague of the gnats. But we see this phrase come up again, the finger of God. And this time, it's in a confrontation that Jesus had with, with people who had hard hearts. This is in Luke chapter 8. Jesus cast a demon out of a mute man, and then the man spoke, and then the hard-hearted people came to Jesus, and, and they were questioning him, saying, it's by the, by the power of the enemy that you cast that demon out of the man. And Jesus says, 
If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If it's by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see it. This is so cool. God's kingdom advancing upon a people revealed in a man, in a, in de, a man delivered from demonic oppression and sickness. This clash of the kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Freedom versus oppression. Slavery versus freedom. Truth versus lies. We're here, we're here today because God's kingdom uh, had come upon them in Jesus and can, continues to come upon us, continues to advance. There's some, or there's some like fantastic parallels that I want to draw up. Man, it's gone suddenly really quiet. Hey. So I just want to back the story up from, uh, from that passage in Luke 11 to sort of like the, a bit earlier on. John the Baptist is one of the, one of the first key people in the Gospels. His mission... His mission was to prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord, and he did this by preparing the hearts of people. Prepare the way for the Lord by preparing people. So we find John the Baptist out by the River Jordan. People are are coming to hear him preaching, and he's calling for people to repent of their sins and be forgiven. And he's baptizing them. I mean, that's his surname, right? So... So he's baptizing them in the river. Baptism demonstrates allegiance to God the King. It represents delivery from, deliverance from slavery and death into life and freedom in God. John Wimber uh, wrote, when, when, you see, when, you see it, when you see baptism as an act of obedience and testimony, it is a declaration of war. When you go under that water, according to Romans 9, you go under as a dead person being buried there and you're brought forth in resurrection as a new creation. And when you're coming up out of that water, what you're saying to the world is that now you stand for Jesus Christ. I've chosen Jesus and I will stand with Jesus from this day forward. This is an act of warfare. Right, we're, we're, uh, this is an allegiance. We're showing our allegiance to the King of Kings. Baptism is powerful. If you haven't been baptized, get baptized. <laughs> Not today, it's too cold. <laughs> no, we can, we can find somewhere warm. So then Jesus comes to John the Baptist and is baptized. Jesus doesn't come to repent of his sins. He's the sinless one. He doesn't come for forgiveness. He doesn't need to be forgiven. He's the forgiving one, actually. So for Jesus, something else, is, something else is going on. Jesus' baptism was a declaration of, of who he is, his mission, and a dedication of himself and his life to the Father, like coming into that, uh, that place of submission to the Father, his mission on earth. And it's like, I've never seen it this way before until I've been thinking about it this week. It's like the first warning shot. You know, Pharaoh and, uh, Aaron and Moses going to Pharaoh and that, that first warning shot. Their first warning shot to, the shot to the enemy. The king is here. The king has arrived on the scene. And then uh, Jesus baptized. It says in Luke 3, The heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven, You are my son. With you I am well pleased. I love it, eh? Yeah, that, that identity. He hasn't even done anything that we know of. You are my son. I'm pleased with you. With whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> 
And there's a really cool parallel here with, when, you, when you look in uh, Luke and you see that uh, straight after this, straight after God says this, then it gives the genealogy of Jesus. It shows who his, who his ancestors, his physical ancestors are, right? Through his father's line, his stepfather, stepdad, Joseph, going all the way back to Adam. And if you go back into Exodus, you see that same, you see that same pattern. When Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they give that first warning shot and then there's the genealogy. Why? I think part of it is, is showing that God's plans and purposes go across generations, like across time. His kingdom, his kingdom purposes advancing through time. And even when we don't see it, he's working across generations. But that's, uh, I know that's something you can look into yourself. Jesus' baptism is a declaration of war. And so what happens immediately is, <laughs> yeah, right, he gets tempted. War. The Holy Spirit leads him. The Holy Spirit takes him into that desert place, into the wilderness place, where he's, he's, he's tempted, or another word you can use is attacked by Satan. Tempted and attacked by Satan. And a key strategy of the enemy's attack on Jesus was to, to undermine his identity. Are you the son of God? Satan attempts to uh, divert Jesus from his divine, his divine status and his divine mission on earth. Offering, you know, the kingdoms of the earth. Like Jesus was here to usher in the kingdom of God and here's Satan offering him the kingdoms of the earth. In this, confront, in this confrontation, in this battle, Jesus emerges victorious. He takes up the sword of the Spirit, which we talked about last week. He takes up these scriptures that he actually believes because he wrote them. <laughs> He's the Word of God. He takes up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and he defeats the enemy. It says, all right. And then Jesus takes things to a whole nother level. <laughs> the temptation and the testing in the wilderness, it, it, it shows us that this is a man of integrity. What, who he is on the outside is actually what's going on on the inside. He is impervious to the temptations that, that typically undo the rest of us. They undo us all. They undo humanity. But he's impervious to that. He, he wins that battle and he arrives, he arrives sometime later at a synagogue in a town called Nazareth. And he stands up to read the scriptures and he opens up the Bible uh, I remember hearing someone talking about this, sort of like setting the scene. He's arrived, here's this man, like people have heard of him. And he stands up, and it's quiet like it is this morning. And he slowly turns in the pages of his Bible. It was a scroll, but you know, you get the, I'm just painting a picture. Turns in his Bible to the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> He goes, turns slowly to Isaiah chapter 4. And he kind of runs his finger down the page. And everyone's eyes are on him. Like, what is this guy going to say? And then he goes back a page because he was actually on Isaiah 5 and it was the wrong bit. <laughs> And then he realizes that he's actually looking in the wrong, completely wrong part of, of Isaiah. And actually, he's, he's meant to be in Luke, reading from Luke, because that's what I'm meant to be doing this morning, where my bookmark is. <laughs> he turns in the book of Isaiah. <laughs> where were we? You feeling it? 
All right. It says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, let's talk about upping the ante. This is the king's, this is a proclamation of the king. This is a statement of intent. And more than that, it's like, it's time for the war. He's empowered by the Spirit. We've seen that earlier in the Scripture. The Spirit has fallen upon him. He's empowered by the Spirit. He's the anointed one. He's the anointed king, the one who had been, uh, been prophesied. And here he is. He's proclaiming the message of good news, of freedom. Let my people go, of healing, of liberation. Funny that word coming through in the worship. Liberation, a time, a year of the Lord's favor. The Lord has heard your cries. And this is what he's going to do, and it's what he's still doing. And the enemy hates it, and he hates seeing his evil kingdom crumbling before his eyes. And he does whatever he can to stop it. Immediately after, after, this, after saying this, after reading the scriptures, all Jesus does is he stands up and he reads the scriptures to the people in the synagogue, to the people in the church. It's all he day. He reads the scriptures. And they try to kill him. <laughs> He's read them the Bible. He's like, here we go. I'll read this. And they tried to kill him. <laughs> they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is, the, this is like a battle, like the enemy's doing whatever he can to get rid of this king. And it was like, no, you can't even touch him. Jesus just walks out of their midst. This is like, that's the finger of God, eh? This is, this is it. He's the king. They can't, they're not going to stop him. His time's not ready. And he goes straight out from this. Like, again, go read uh, Luke chapter 4 from beginning to end. God, Jesus goes straight out and begins dishing out what he's been preaching delivering people that are bound up and oppressed by demons, by evil spirits, healing people of diseases, raising people from the dead, demonstrating what the kingdom of God, uh, that the kingdom of God has arrived on the scene and is upon them and is upon us. Jesus makes this pro- proclamation and he, and he just goes and does the stuff. Moses and Aaron's message of good news to the people of Israel, they were oppressed, they were enslaved, and the the good news was God has heard you, God's about to arrive, God's going to set you free. And this is what happens, God declares war on the enemy, he defeats the gods of Egypt and delivers his people to freedom. And then Jesus, this is just like a precursor to what Jesus does, what Jesus does, he takes it to another level takes it to another level, all through, all stepping it up through his life, confrontation after confrontation. 
the kingdom of God, kingdom of love, and he, he takes it to the, to the end, to the cross. And Jesus single-handedly, mighty hand of God, remember, single-handedly wins the war against the enemy. The decisive victory happens through Jesus at the cross and his resurrection. So through Jesus, we are saved. Through Jesus, he defeated sin. He takes my sin. Yes. Oh, thank you, God. I can't get rid of it. You took it. He defeated sin and he, and he defeated death. Jesus rules in his reigns. He, he, so he died on the cross taking our sins and death upon him. He didn't have any sins. He didn't need to die. He dies on the cross. He's resurrected, defeating death. And then he's ascended to God in heaven where he's ruling and reigning, the high king of heaven from the, from the throne in heaven. And from heaven, he sends his Holy Spirit upon us so that we can be his kingdom agents, agents of his kingdom on earth. Christian soldiers, onward Christian soldiers. Like they, oh, goodness me. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a kingdom agent. You're an agent of his kingdom. Greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. You're seated right now in the heavenly places. Take up the sword of the Spirit. We continue to face battles, guys. It ain't over till Jesus returns again. Quoting again from the Gospel of John Wimber, uh, from John Wimber, he said this, whether it's prayer for the sick or a devotional Bible study, when we make commitments to the Lord to act on our beliefs, we can expect the enemy to challenge them. (laughs) Is that what happens? But it's good news in the Gospels, the good news. Each time Jesus sets someone free, every time he heals someone, every time he proclaims the good news, everything he did, this is the warfare of our king. Kingdom agents. Kingdom agents demonstrating what his kingdom is like. Feeding the hungry. Raising the dead. Resisting temptation. Destroying idols in our lives. Being generous with money being generous with our possessions or our time or our love. This is kingdom warfare. It feels like, sometimes it feels like such small stuff, getting up early in the morning to pray. You know? But it's, king, it's kingdom warfare. Every time we submit and surrender ourselves to God, every time, every time we take a risk in obedience, it might be something big like... Um, Oh, Tom, it's so cool to see you here this morning. And you've got amazing stories of how you, you, know, you witness to the people at your workplace. And during worship, I just saw you like, uh, like how you're like a flame of God in that place and in your home. Like you're a flame of God. And to, like, to almost like to encourage you to keep burning. Like you, you do this stuff. You, you're a kingdom agent in your workplace. It's in the big stuff. It's in the risky stuff that fills us with fear. And, and we go, God, I'm doing this even though I'm afraid. It's even in the ordinary stuff. The unseen parts of our life. You know, like spending time in the scriptures going, okay, God, you are my king. What do you say, my king, to me? Chewing on the scriptures, spending time alone in prayer, trying, God, like I'm so tired, like um, help me not to get distracted. We demonstrate, like through all these activities, we demonstrate, we're demonstrating our allegiance to the king. And every time we do this, this is like demonstrating his kingdom among us. And this is like, this is the battle. This is the battle. Uh, setting aside time. You guys are great. Setting aside time to come to church. It's a battle. It's a battle because it's a battle. <laughs> it's, a not, it's not a battle. Just be, It's a battle because the enemy doesn't want this. He doesn't want us gathering and declaring that Jesus is the king. 
It's a battle because it's a battle. Worshiping God with all their heart, mind, and strength. It's hard because it's hard. It's hard because it's a battle. (laughs) Every excuse will pop up every time you try to worship God. Serving one another. Serving one another. Have you ever thought about serving one another as being being kingdom warfare? Like lowering yourself like Jesus lowered yourself to serve one another, honor one another. Listening to his words. Praying for people. Praying for people after the service. Praying for people for healing. Whether they're healed or not, that's up to God. That's God. That's God. That's the hand of God at work. Our part of the battle is to be obedient, to pray for others. Uh, telling someone about Jesus. When you tell someone about Jesus, when I tell someone about Jesus, we're going, I, I believe in Jesus. I pledge allegiance to Jesus. Jesus is the king. This is a declaration of war. The enemy does not like that. Leading someone to Jesus. Leading someone to Christ. So that their heart then becomes you know, a dwelling place for the king of kings. A dwelling place on earth. Discipling people. Kingdom, war- kingdom warfare. Giving away food. Giving away money. Giving away kindness. That can sometimes be the hardest thing. Being kind to people. Oh Lord, Lord, would you remind us of this during the week. That um, when we're getting impatient with people and we just want to be unkind. Lord, would you show us that actually being kind to someone is, is kingdom warfare. Psalm 95 says, uh, Psalm 95, 3 says, For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And I think like the Lord, uh, at this, in this time, he's like going, lift up, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes toward to the great king. He's much greater than we, we imagine. He's much stronger. Our king is incomparably strong and mighty. With his finger, with his finger, he defeated the gods of Egypt. With his, with his finger, he can and he will one day defeat the gods of our culture. With his finger, we see, we see things going on in our culture, and we're like, what can we do about that? We can pray and seek God's kingdom. With his finger, he defeated the gods of Egypt. With his finger, he sets people free from, de- from demons. Come out, Jesus' name. Our king is stronger than death. Even though he died on the cross, he rose again because death could not hold him down. And when we, when we repent of our sins, and pledge our allegiance to the King of Kings. Our sins go to his grave. And we are saved into eternal life with him. Our King, my King, your King, rules and reigns. His kingdom is advancing on planet Earth, and he will return again. And he will return in power and glory. And every knee will bow before him, And in the meantime, onward Christian soldier, (laughs) marching through the land. (laughs) I'll go back to it. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banner go. G'day. So this morning coming in, seeing, seeing seeing the lightning and hearing the thunder going, okay, God. This battle is yours. This battle is yours. Man. 
Why don't we why don't we why don't we stand together?